0: Jodi, that was one of the biggest eye-openers to me, to sit around the table with these Jewish people studying the Torah.
1: Hello, and welcome to Walk Like a Hebrew. On this podcast, we talk to believers from all kinds of faith backgrounds who have discovered that God's law, given through Moses at Mount Sinai, was not actually nailed to the cross of Christ, as many of us have been taught. On Walk Like a Hebrew, we ask the question, how did you get from there, wherever that was, to here, living like a true Hebrew, literally following in the footsteps of our Messiah, just as the Bible instructs. Walk Like a Hebrew is a listener-supported podcast. We don't have sponsors, and we don't sell products to pay our expenses. If you enjoy hearing these testimonies and you would like to make a one-time or recurring donation, please visit sheholdsforth.com. This is Episode 15, an interview with Terry and Marty McHenry of Reno, Nevada. We talk about Marty's discovery of a bookstore that had both Christian and Jewish things for sale, how they extricated themselves from their mainstream evangelical church, and the interesting story of how Terry's book came about. All right. Welcome to Walk Like a Hebrew. I'm here tonight with Terry and Marty McHenry of Reno, Nevada. Hi, Terry and Marty. How are you guys doing?
0: Good. We're doing great. I'm Marty. I'm the mom. You know, that's everybody gets us confused. (laughs) So I'll just make that clear in the beginning.
1: (laughs) All right. Perfect. (laughs) Marty's the mom. Terry, how are you?
0: I'm well,
2: thank you.
1: Wonderful. I'm glad to hear it. So, um, if you could just give us a little quick introduction, tell us about yourself.
0: Well, we've been married for well, almost 47 years, so, and we have four children. Wow. I've been pregnant twice, so we had one son. And I told the neighbor across the street when I saw her boys uh, hanging out the window everywhere, and she had three of them. And I said, "I'm never having three boys." Now, I'm never having three children because I came from a three-child family. I am only going to have two, and then I'm going to adopt two. Well, we had twins the second time around, so that took care of the three boys. So never say never to God. <laughs> and uh, then we adopted our daughter. Um, she was six and a half when we adopted her. She's now in Alaska and has four children or something. Wow. And we see, our twins... Uh, they're both Hebrews now. You heard Jeanette McHenry is our daughter-in-law. She awesome. um, has four children. And then our other twin has two. And then our older son in Colorado, he's married to a woman that has four children that are all married. So I have four step-grandchildren and 10 great-grandchildren. Wow. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. So like this business? Terry, you want to talk about our spiritual background?
2: Well, we uh, we were involved in a uh, evangelical non-denominational church here in Reno for about 18 years. Probably the latter 10 years of that was as home fellowship leaders, hmm. doing Christian Bible studies uh, one night a week. Of course, studying the Bible and but with the Greco-Roman mindset. Right. We made a trip to Colorado, which I'll have my wife share that. But we basically started out on the Hebrew roots, first exploring it in about 1998. I'll let her tell the story. But uh, we began to see that what the church was teaching was certainly aligned with biblical factors, but was in places varying from the Bible. And as we began to explore this and ask questions, we weren't getting satisfactory answers. Probably one of the first organizations we got involved with for looking at their material was First Fruits Design. Okay. Uh, they were at that time out of Colorado. And that. That kind of began our journey, but the way we started on it, I'll let my wife share because it's really her story. Okay.
0: Our older son had uh, moved back to uh, Colorado to work on a dude ranch in Estes Park, and so we went back there to visit him, and we had a day off to find something to do. So we went into Estes Park, and I said, well, there's a Christian concert. Let's maybe see about getting tickets and going to that. That would be a good way to spend our time. Well, I kept looking around for the Christian bookstore, but I never found the Christian bookstore. I found high places, as you say it in, in Hebrew. High places means life. And uh, of course, high places, yes, this park is one of the highest places in the United States. So oh. anyway, I went into that seeing that it looked like a Christian store, but I went in there and there was all this Jewish stuff in there. And I started crying and I couldn't stop crying. I was so embarrassed because I don't do that. And at the time, uh, the owner of the store, who was um, Toby Janicki's mom from First Fruits of Zion, Elizabeth Janicky, she came over and, and sat and talked with me. And I said, what's the deal that there's Jewish stuff and Christian stuff together? I didn't think they belonged together. And she said, listen, this is the biggest move of the spirit. I'll give you a book to read and you can. um, And it even has a Bible study. So I took the book and on our drive back to Reno, I was reading it to Terry and I said, God has a name. Oh, my goodness. God likes us to keep the Sabbath. That's what he wanted us to do. Oh, my goodness. There's feast days. That he, he wants us to do. I, and I was just, we were both like, really? This is, we've been studying the Bible this many years and we didn't know that. And somehow or another, we found out about somebody doing a air of Shabbat service at the Christian bookstore. So we went there and we met some, some people there that were into this walk. And I kept asking, because one of them was a messianic believer. And I kept asking him, why do you do this? What is this all about? Wow. What was the name of the book? It was called Holy to Yahweh. Holy to? Yahweh. Why? Yahweh. H-V-E-H. Some people say Yahweh. Um, This was a, actually, it was a Messianic Jewish lady who wrote the book, and I can't remember her name now, I'm sure.
1: Oh, Terry Goldblum Seedman.
0: Her book and her Bible study was what, you know, started all of this, and of course, I just was absolutely amazed by everything I was learning, and so I got on, I don't even know how I got on. I look back and I think, how did all of this come about? I ended up finding about, because uh, it was getting close to the time for the Feast of Tabernacles. And I had a little uh, pamphlet I picked up someplace. I don't even know where. And it showed that somebody was doing a Feast of Tabernacles up at Lake Tahoe. And that was only a half an hour from us. So I said, well, I'm coming up. In fact, I talked to, it was Richard and Ellie Agee over in Santa Rosa, California. But I thought they were up at the lake. And so I went up to the lake and I was like, wow, they dance. They blow the shofar. And this is so awesome. Awesome. she has her children her grandchildren there what a neat thing to do you know have your children and studying the word and having so much fun together so I was just like wow we need to go again well Terry was working so he couldn't go with me I had a friend that I had known years, for years. In fact, she had been in our fellowship group. I had met her at Bible Study Fellowship years before, so she was a strong believer. And I said, oh, we got to go up there. We got up there, and she kept going, let me out of here, let me out of here. And I'm thinking, (laughs) why do you want to get out of here? This is the best thing that ever happened. (laughs) So anyway, it was an interesting experience there. But that was my first experience for Tabernacles. and. That's
1: how it went. Wow, that's awesome. It just goes to show you that God really opens the eyes of different people at different times because you can be sitting there with somebody and seeing and hearing the exact same thing and come to completely different conclusions. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know,
2: well, one of the things that we continually prayed for as we looked for material and information was for Father to show us if we were getting on some type of occultic track or something that please show us. Uh, And, you know, we we were fortunate enough that at that time our kids were old enough. So we had the ability to do a fair amount of traveling, to also travel in you know, domestically, and attend different conferences. We went to several of the first fruits design conferences and and other other conferences, and just to network with other people and bounce questions yeah. off of people. And just we were just a couple of sponges trying to soak up whatever we could, but trying to be cautious about the material that we did look at or people we did talk to. And we probably. You know, we stumbled and tripped a few times and picked ourselves up and kept going, but it was uh it was pretty intense there for about the first probably three or four years that we were on this. And in the interim we, we left we left our church in nineteen ninety nine, but we continued as home fellowship leaders for almost two years after we left the church. Huh. And it was kind of interesting and it began we had Two gentlemen in our group who were former Catholics, and they got really freaky about us going under the law. And finally, it came to the point where it was starting to create some contention. So we we just prayerfully decided we needed back out of this. The pastor that was head of the home fellowship groups in this church didn't quite know what to do with us because... Uh, <laughs> We, our fellowship group was probably the, the most thriving one in the church, and yet we were slowly, very slowly and cautiously beginning to introduce some of the things that we had been learning. Some people loved it. Some people didn't know what to do with it. And a few people rejected it. So it was, it was creating dissension. And so we finally just left that role as well. And then we poured ourselves into uh, this walk. We began to do the Sabbath. At first, it was kind of funny. for Sabbath, we actually observed. We said, "Well, okay, it's Sabbath. Here we are. What do we do?"
0: <laughs> well, I should probably take you back to our children because obviously, this was quite a transition for them. We. Raised them to be Christians and just doing things that normal Christians do, and all of a sudden they saw us doing things that were so Jewish-looking. We had our last Christmas like the Last Supper, and everybody was here. Only our daughter was living at home. The twins were both out. Actually, our other twin was married. Stephen and Lindsay were married. Our son from Colorado was here with his fiance, and Scott and Jeanette were here. And so we said, "This is it. This is the last time we're going to do this." And why? And gave him a little paper and everything else. And I remember our one, she doesn't remember this, but Lindsay said, well, how's that going to work? You guys are going to be Jews and my parents are going to be Christians. What's going to happen with our kids? Well, we'll just see how it goes, but this is what we need to do right now. So (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that was kind of the the beginning of all of that. And then of course Scott and Jeanette, they weren't they weren't even believers at that time or let's say practicing believers. And so Stephen and Lindsay were always trying to get Scott and Jeanette to, you know, become real active believers and everything else. Well then to make a long story short, I think Jeanette kind of covered that in her interview, but they became uh, messianic back there in Salt Lake. And so, of course, they didn't have anything that they they didn't have a lot of Christian background. So they just they came on board and so as Stephen and Lindsay were telling them that they needed to walk with the Lord and come to know who the Lord is, Scott and Jeanette were trying to tell them they needed to walk Hebrew walk. And so they came out one year for Christmas before we'd had the final Christmas. And they went over to Stephen Lindsay's house. And Stephen Lindsay at that time lived in a pretty small house and they told him, you know, if you would give up Christmas, you would have a lot more room in your house.
1: Oh my gosh. <laughs> Never heard that one before. <laughs>
0: It wasn't too many months after that that Scott and Jeanette said, well, I think Stephen's ready to listen to some videos if you've got something. So I just grabbed a few. And one of them I hadn't even watched. It was Jim Staley's Truth or Tradition.
1: Oh, that's a great one. Within the
0: next week, Lindsay called me up and she was crying. And she said, we watched that and both of us just bawled. And at the time, Joel, their oldest at that time was like three years old. And he came to and said, Mommy, Daddy, why are you crying? They said, we've been lied to. Anyway, they got they got rid of their Christmas stuff that week, and that was the end of that. So
1: that is great. I love that. That if you just gave up Christmas, you'd have a lot more room. That's fantastic. Oh,
0: <laughs> we were. I feel very blessed by knowing Richard and Ellie Ag. They connected us with. Eddie Chumney and Avi Ben Mordecai and um, who are some of the other early teachers that really had a handle and an understanding on the two houses of Israel. And in fact, I remember one time when I went to Israel, some gal told me, she said, why do you always look at everything through the lens of two houses? And I said, because it's from Genesis to Revelation, you can't get away from it. And if, as you understand it, it will just open up your eyes. All of a sudden, you'll realize that the book of Hosea is written to us as Christians, not to the Jewish people, because it was to the Northern Kingdom that got sent out. And you'll understand the New Testament even more that when Jesus or Yeshua met the Samaritan woman at the well, it was the wayward bride that was uh, the Northern Kingdom because Samaria was a capital of the Northern Kingdom. And all of these things start making sense. In fact, he says, well, you have five husbands and you're not married to the one you have. It's a picture of First Kings 17 about the Northern Kingdom that took in the five different gods that they, you know, had idolatry with, adultery. Somebody said, well, you can um, go to one of the local synagogues. You know, they have Hebraic Davidic dance there and learn that. I'm not a very good dancer, but I did go to class and I stuck with it for quite a while. And one of the uh, gentlemen in the class said, you know, I think you and your husband might like to go to the Torah study that they have at the synagogue. And I said, well, gee, they would have us. And I said, can we please go? And so we did. Jody, that was one of the biggest eye openers to me to sit around the table with these Jewish people studying the. Torah. Oh, I bet. And what was so amazing to me was to hear them say, that's not what it says in the word. Here, read it in the Hebrew. This is what it says. And I was like, wow, I got to learn Hebrew. <laughs> so we went to a gal named Nitza. She was a Hebrew teacher. She she was actually a Sabra Israeli, and she had taught opon, which is the induction into Hebrew. When you come to Israel for three or four months, you take the what they call opon class. And so we had like a private little opon with her. I wish I could say I'd learn more from her, but you know what? The one thing I learned from her that so impacted me, I don't know how familiar you are with, with Hebrew at all. Are you pretty familiar with it?
1: Vaguely, vaguely.
0: As you know, the, the very first sentence in Genesis, Bereshit, mm-hmm. is seven words. And in that seven words, Bereshit bara Elohim et Hashemayim the ve'et haaretz. There is two Aleph and Tav. And of course, we know from Revelations that Yeshua is the Aleph. The Aleph well, it says the Aleph and the Ma- Omega in Greek, but it's Aleph and Tav in mm-hmm. Hebrew. The Alpha and the Tav is very interesting because there's no translation for that word, and it just points to the direct object. But because of that, being the fourth word in that first sentence, they knew that Yeshua, the Messiah, was going to come in the fourth millennium. And he's going to return at the end of the sixth because it's Ba'et and the Vav in the et, or next to the et, shows that he will be nail pierced. Wow. But anyway, when we were starting our conversational Hebrew, we we were doing the, the beginning with, you know, see Dick run, run Jane run, and you know, the basics. It was nothing. Then we had to start putting the et in there because it points to a direct object. And I said, how am I going to know when to put the et in? What does that mean? And she said, well, you'll know. And I said, well, what if I go over to Israel and I forget to put the et in? And she said, they'll know that you're not Israeli. Okay. And it just... Wicked in my spirit. If you don't have the Aleph and the top, you are not Israeli. Oh
1: my gosh. And I thought,
0: <laughs> i got to learn this and figure this out. So, anyway, it has been an interesting journey and it's been interesting to sit at the synagogue and listen to these Jewish people study the word. Not so much only because of what they're teaching me in the Hebrew, but it gave me the mindset of what Yeshua was dealing with when he was dealing with the Jewish people because they have a closed mindset to him. Yeah. And I I still remember at one of the studies we were in, it was an older couple that was running the study, but there was also the rabbi was there. And he was there and um, they were talking about, because we just finished reading Deuteronomy. The leader's wife said, she patted the Torah and she said, why are we going back and doing Genesis again? I want to go and finish reading the rest of the books. And both the rabbi and her husband said, no, we can't do that. And of course, me being me said, what do you mean you can't do that? (laughs) I don't understand. (laughs) And they both said, no, we don't want to talk about it. And of course, I said, I want to talk about it. Why can't you go read it? Well, the rabbi said, well, that's because the Christians stole the Old Testament. And so we only stay in the Torah. And I was like, really? And so it was interesting. And he was anything that had to do with what he called the J-Man, because that's what he called Jesus, because they won't say his name because they feel like he's an idolater. I realized what Jesus was was up against with some of these people that have been so indoctrinated with lies against their Messianic, their Jewish Savior. And it's given Terry and I such a heart to go in and be a part of their team at times and share with them. Yeah.
1: Well, it, it just goes to show that it's, it's not just Christians who have inherited lies, mm-hmm. but it's also Judaism yes, that has inherited lies. And it seems like now true. we're coming into a time in history when slowly but surely those lies are being chiseled away and we're discovering the truth that lies beneath both sides of that equation.
2: Exactly, and that's, uh, I, I always tell people, Christianity has a lot of things correct, mm-hmm. correct being what the Bible actually teaches, but Judaism also has a lot of things correct.
0: Absolutely. But
2: both of them have some things that deviate from what the scriptures teach, and the basic source of that deviation is religious traditions and customs. Yes. I, in particular, but Marty too, became very fascinated with the contrast between the extremes of the religious customs and beliefs in both Judaism and and Christianity, and then those in, in turn contrasted with what the actual original text teaches. And that was kind of the source that led me ultimately to write a book, which I published a couple of years ago, that looks at these contrasts.
1: What's the name of your book, Terry?
2: Well, it's titled Truth versus Man's Religious Systems, but then it's subtitled Commonalities, Truths, and Fallacies Among Amongst Judaism and Christianity. It's available through Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Okay.
0: Well, a little history on his book was because, you know, when we had our last Christmas, um, he wanted to kind of give the kids a small overview. Well, of course, by the time he started writing a small overview, they were on board, but they had a lot more questions. So he started writing, and it got to be quite quite the big book, but... (laughs) Anyway, we've heard people that are really interested in trying to find this out to understand this walk that has been really beneficial because there's virtually a chapter in there just about on anything with this walk that you can imagine, and it's not meant to be read like a novel. It's right. meant to be more of a reference book that if you have a question about, you know, the feast or eating kosher or two, just houses, a, two houses, two logic
2: systems. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I have a couple more questions. The first one, what do you call yourself when someone asks you about your religion? Somebody that you don't know.
2: Um, Well, it depends on to a degree on who it is. If it's someone just, uh, as they say, cold turkey, that you know little or nothing about them, you have no clue whether they're really interested in what you're about or not, I usually just say that I'm a scripturalist. A
1: scripturalist.
2: Yeah. I believe uh, if you take someone to the biblical text, most people will not openly dispute the Bible. Some will, of course, obviously, but most people will say, okay. And then that usually opens up a question. They'll either say, well, what's a scripturalist? Or they will uh, say, tell me more or something. And then uh, some people will just say, okay. If it's someone who has a, a fairly strong spiritual Christian background or something, the other thing I often say is, I'm an Israelite. And most people don't know what that really means, but it opens up. If they're interested, it opens up a question, well, what do you mean by an Israelite? Because many Christian people, when I say Israelite, they automatically think Jew, Mm -hmm. which is a Jew and an Israelite are two totally different things. So it gives me an opportunity to share a few things with them so that they see the difference. And then that may open up further questions and an opportunity to share some things. Or they may just freak and say, okay, thank you. Right. So I try to answer the question based on what I know about them. Or if I don't know much about them at all, then I'll go with the first option is on a scripture list.
1: I like that. Scripturalist. I have not heard that one yet. That makes a lot of good sense. It's very succinct, you know. Very, it encompasses everything in one word instead of a long, drawn out explanation. That's good. One,
2: the one thing I don't share with most people when they ask me is I'm, I don't say I'm Messianic or Hebrew roots because a lot of people, if I say Hebrew roots, then they think Jew. Mm-hmm. And it just conjures up in their mind too many possibilities. And a lot of people I found over time, it shuts them off. So I don't use those two terms.
1: Okay. Yeah. I have found that if you say Hebrew roots or Messianic, often people will go home and Google it. Yeah. Yeah, And unfortunately, the term Hebrew roots, most of the top you know, five or six pages worth of Google links are going to yeah, be very, exactly. very derogatory.
2: Right. And that's one of the reasons I don't use those terms.
0: That makes good sense. I would just say I just follow the Bible and I try to do what uh, Jesus, Yeshua, did. And he's Jewish, so I have learned that there's a lot of things that he did that we haven't been doing and he would like for us yeah. to do something, something like that. And, and again, like Terry says, always make sure who I'm talking to before. <laughs> (laughs) I go into something and watch for the glazed look on their face.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So my last question, off the top of your head, if you were talking to somebody brand new, what would be the three resources that you would be most likely to recommend to a newbie?
2: A newbie, as a yeah, Hebrew as in as
1: somebody who had just discovered okay. the Torah was not nailed to the cross, that the law was not done away with. Oh, okay. Now, what do I do?
2: Um, I usually ask people if they're readers or not because some people read, some people listen. <laughs> you know, we, we all learn differently, some are learned audibly, some visually, and so forth. That's a
1: very good point. If, Thank you for bringing that up.
2: If they're readers, I recommend uh, our father Abraham. Is a good one. Do you know who the author is? Marvin Wilson. Dr. Ron Mosley wrote several books. They're all good. These are people who have written material that bridge the gap between Christianity and Judaism. Okay. And sort out what's scriptural and what isn't. Much of what I tried to do in my book. Those are a couple that come to mind that I would recommend. Uh, there's others too. If they're audible learners, we were just talking earlier about Jim Staley. Mm-hmm. Jim Staley has some wonderful material like Truth and Tradition and other things that um, for people who are audible learners are excellent, I think.
1: How about you, Marty? Do you have some favorite go-to resources? got so many tons of favorites, it's hard to know
0: <laughs> where to go to. <laughs> so it's hard to say. I listen to so much stuff while I'm cleaning the house and I like a wide variety, Terry and I always say, don't get stuck on any one person. Right. Yeah. Uh, whether it's, and of course, we've known some of the ones from way back that were in the walkway before we even started like Bill Cloud, Brad Scott, Eddie Chumney, Eddie Chumney, and Eddie Chumney was probably my hero. Yeah,
2: Eddie, Eddie Chumney's got some great
0: books. Yeah, he's, he's pretty dry for a lot of people, but he's got his website. I think it's Hebrews that has his books on there. You can actually just read them on there if you want. Okay. And I heard one of your other people, I don't remember which one, but they also brought up Blue Letter Bible, mm. and that's an app on your phone, and I used that all of the time. You can go in there. My favorite thing is to go in and look and see how the word is translated because Ah, it's interesting to me how a word can be used in one place and someplace else it's not even translated the same. But when you go to that word, it it shows So I would say Blue Letter Bible is one of the best things to use if you're going to actually study the word Initially, obviously, we all come in here and we just are trying to figure it all out. One of the things that I like to give to people, the old um, Angus and Bacha Wooten, who were some of the very first that understood that, you know, Christians were some of these people of Israel. And so they had the book, Who is Israel? And I suppose they have some other books out there, but you get on, I would imagine, on Amazon. I don't know where they still are, if they still have some of their books in print. And I know Bacha Wooten wrote a great one on Mama's Torah.
1: Well, thank Thank you guys. This was a wonderful conversation, and I really appreciate you guys taking the time to sit down. With me. Thank you for listening to Walk Like a Hebrew. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Walk Like a Hebrew, and don't forget to share this podcast with friends and family. Many thanks to Jack Lane for the music. To get a free copy of Jack CD, Lord, I Lift Your Name, send an email to jacklane at earthlink.net. May Jehovah bless you. We'll catch you next time.